How do you love somebody who you'd rather hate? How do you love someone who you can't stand? Have you ever asked that question? How do you love someone who seems to exist simply to make your life miserable? We are going to be looking at a passage in Scripture, a little snippet from the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be looking at the last section, the Gospel of Matthew, verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, five little verses. Just five little verses. <laughs> it's, it's only North Point, it's okay. Um, just five little verses. But I got to tell you guys something. As I was preparing for this message, I was so overwhelmed by these five little verses that there was a period of time where I actually wrestled and I thought I had bitten off more than I can chew. Before we get started, guys, I, I got a little confession to make. I am a gamer. We have any gamers in the house this morning? Just a few of you, all right. <laughs> I love video games. I've loved video games ever since I was younger. I actually remember when the first Nintendo came out. I remember Atari. I remember playing Duck Hunt. I remember playing Super Mario Bros. I remember when, I remember when Super Mario Bros. 2 came out, and I thought nothing was better than that. It's something I enjoy doing. I enjoy a good video game the same way some of you enjoy a good meal or a good book. It's not something that I get to do a lot of. I, I don't have a lot of free time, but when I do, I like to treat myself to, to a video game. And I notice that when I get a new video game, a lot of times, I, you know, I, I take the game out of the, the cellophane packaging, which takes about 10 minutes to do. It's easier to open up a pack of raw meat than it is to open a video game. And I take the video game and I put it in my console and I have to let it download. And those of you who know what I'm talking about, after what seems like an eternity of it downloading, I'm ready to start my adventure. But I notice that when I go to the main screen, this little, little disclaimer pops up, and it says something like this, before you begin this adventure, would you like to adjust your settings? Would you like to modify your settings? What I usually find myself doing is I usually find myself going to the options menu, and I adjust the brightness and I turn the brightness up to where I can see everything clearly as bright as it can possibly be. A lot of times I find myself adjusting the audio as, as much as so I can hear everything I can possibly hear and I even find myself sometimes inverting the controls so I can play the game usually in a way that's backwards than what the developers came up with. And see the developers when they, when they develop these games they come up with a default group of settings that they think will unanimously work for the average person. But what I find is that default settings just don't work for me. <laughs> I like to turn things up a bit. I like to turn the brightness up a little bit. I like to adjust the audio a little bit. Now you might be asking yourself this morning, John, what in the world does a video game analogy have to do with today's topic? The answer is this. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, God is not interested in you and I navigating through this life on default settings. Amen. To give you guys a little bit of context, 
Jesus, you know, in the Old Testament, God descended on a mountain and he distributed the law of Moses to the children of Israel. And now here in the New, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 5, we have Jesus, God in human flesh, going up on a hill, and before the disciples and before a crowd of witnesses, he is explaining and interpreting what the law of Moses actually means, what the Ten Commandments actually mean. So what we're going to do, I'm, before we go any further, I'm going to give you guys the uh, fill-ins up top. There's only three of them. The first fill-in is this, loving our enemies is not an option. It's a command. Second fill-in is God's love has no boundaries. The third fill-in is we are never more like Jesus when we choose to show goodness to those who don't deserve it. Jesus, to give you guys a little bit of context, he is speaking. Everybody say Jesus is speaking. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who are legitimately marginalized. They are oppressed. And at this particular time in human history, the Roman Empire is the law of the land. Imagine growing up with a narrative that the Messiah that you've always heard about is going to be this military leader that is going to show up. He's going to lead you in revolt against your enemies, the very people who are oppressing you, and he's going to establish his earthly kingdom here on earth, and you're going to be a part of the fight. Imagine growing up with that narrative. Now, imagine the Messiah actually showing up, and in one sentence taking that entire narrative and flipping it on its head. And in doing so, issuing a command that is so radical that I'm pretty sure the very people who heard it were probably a little bit uh, upset. I would imagine they were probably a little bit angry when they heard it. I would imagine they were probably a little bit distressed when they heard this command. What command is Jesus talking about? Let's start at verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In Luke chapter 6, it says a little something like this. If anyone is willing to listen, pray for your enemies, love your enemies. Verse 45, in that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives us sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those that love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind to only your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is attacking a cultural narrative brought about by a misinterpretation of God's second command. What Jesus is talking about is a verse in the Old Testament found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. And it says this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, 
but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God is explaining, he's, he, he is commanding the children of Israel to love their neighbors as himself. What are the two great commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. But there was a problem. The problem is the children of Israel, God's original plan for them was to be a salt and light to the world. It was God's original plan for them to distribute God and share God with the rest of the world. But the problem is they took that light of God and they kept it to themselves. And they kept it exclusive to their own community. They weren't exclusive with it. As a matter of fact, they thought that loving their neighbor meant loving other Jews. They thought their loving their neighbor meant loving other Israelites. They thought that loving their neighbor meant loving people who live in the same community as you. They thought that loving your neighbor meant loving people who are in the same tribe as you. They thought that loving your neighbor meant loving people who loved you back. And Jesus, God in human flesh, he, he's, that, that's, that's a, that was a cultural narrative. And it led to a great disconnect among people. This is precisely why in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, a person from enemy territory, was surprised when Jesus, a Jew, asked her for a drink of water. And what we find out is that the words neighbor and enemy are actually one and the same. They misinterpreted the meaning of this passage. And what was used, what was supposed to be a system of justice tempered with mercy and grace, they actually modified it and turned it into a license to hate. I want you to look at, we're going we're to look at some very interesting wordings that Jesus uses throughout this passage, and he actually uses it throughout this sermon. He says these words, he says, you have heard it said, dot, dot, dot. And then he says, but I tell you, dot, dot, dot. You have heard it said that, you know, only the uh, physical act of killing somebody is murder. A lot of people thought that, that, that murder was simply killing someone in either life, the physical act of it. But what Jesus says is, but I say to you, if you have held anger in your heart towards someone, you have murdered them. If you have called that person a fool, you have murdered them. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. People at that particular time thought that the physical act of cheating was adultery. And Jesus says, but I say to you, if you look at another person with lust, you've committed adultery. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. What is Jesus getting at here? Notice that what he's doing, remember, he's God in human flesh. He's explaining his laws. He is the moral arbiter of the cosmos itself. He created right and wrong. And what Jesus is doing is he is ratcheting up the the standard of righteousness, because there were a lot of people at that particular time who thought that they were following the law to the letter. And Jesus says, you haven't even ascended the first step of righteousness. 
Now, he's not saying this to, 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 to prove how bad they are, but rather what he's doing is he's letting them know how much they need him, how much we need him. See, Jesus is challenging his disciples to go beyond the limits of themselves. He's calling them to be radical. He's not calling them to swim with the current. He's calling them to swim against the current. He's not calling them to run with the herd, but he's rather calling them to stand out. He's calling them to adjust their settings. And Jesus is saying, too many of you have been living your lives in default settings when you think it's righteousness. Friends, we all have enemies. I've got them. You've got them. You may know who they are. You may not know who they are. And if you think you don't have enemies, just wait a little while. Your enemy could very well be someone who you work with. Your enemy may be your boss or your supervisor. Your enemy may be someone who you go to school with, who sits in your classroom or someone you ride the bus with. Your enemy may very well be somebody sitting in this church. Your enemy may very well be the person you're sitting next to. Your enemy may very well be the person you woke up next to. I don't know what your situation is this morning, but you and I all have enemies. And if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we are commanded to love our enemies. It's not an option. It's a command. I would imagine there, there are probably some of us, even as we hear this teaching, we've all heard it before, there are probably some of us, and if we're honest with ourselves, it's okay, it's church. There are probably some of us who are arguing with God at this very moment. Because you're probably thinking about a particular person. You're probably thinking about a particular encounter. Or maybe you're thinking about a particular uh, group of people who may have wronged you or offended you. And you're probably sitting here right now, and despite worshiping, you're probably still holding on to resentment. Could be. It's probably possible. And maybe you're arguing with God. Maybe you're saying something like this. Love your enemy. Sounds nice, sounds noble, but God, you know my personality. You know how I grew up. I don't take crap from anybody. Love your enemy, sounds noble, but I'm telling you right now, as a person of color, living in this post-Donald Trump, Joe Biden, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor culture, if I hear one of them call me that name, we're going to have a problem whether I'm a Christian or not. Love your enemy. Sounds noble. Sounds like the right thing to do. But I'm telling you right now, after the way they treated me, after the way they talked to me, after the way they did me, after the way they hurt me, after the things they said to and about me, after the way they betrayed me, I ain't doing nothing for that person. And not only am I ain't going to do nothing for that person, I don't want to see that person. Who does that sound like this morning? You want to know who that sounds like? Sounds like me. Sounds like John Kennard. Why? Because I have default settings. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, but every once in a while, my default settings, they bubble to the surface. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. 
I tend to revert to my default settings. Somebody says something I don't like, I tend to revert to my default settings. I hear about craziness online or on TV, I tend to revert to my default settings. We all have enemies, but I want you to look at what Jesus says. There are two things that you and I are called to do when it comes to our enemies. The first thing we're called to do is pray. He says, pray for those who persecute you. The word persecuted means to subject someone to hostility or mistreatment. He says, I want you, I am commanding you, I, Jesus, I, your commanding officer, am commanding you that you pray when, though, when people mistreat you. That's the thing I want you to do. Now, what's our default setting? We don't want to pray for somebody. We want to hold a grudge, don't we? I want to hold on to that offense. Why do we pray for our enemies? Because when we pray for somebody, number, first of all, when we pray to God, we, number one, we're a part of him, right? And abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ, part of that is through prayer. Part of it's through worship. Part of it's through fellowship. But prayer is a, is a necessary component in our day-to-day interactions with God and other people. We pray because we are a part of him. Scripture tells us that because of our relationship, because of our right standing with God, we can therefore enter into God's throne room boldly and confidently anytime, night or day, with any concern, any request, any petition. And not only will he hear us, but he will also answer. That's a promise. And if I understand this text correctly, Jesus says that when you and I pray for an enemy, someone whom we don't like, he will answer. When we pray that God will bless somebody whom we don't like, he will answer. Think about that for a second. Just think about it. My wife and I uh, recently, uh, actually it was a week ago, when I was preparing for this teaching, my allergies are driving me nuts today, I spent some time in prayer and I said, God, if I'm going to teach this message, you got to help me practice what I'm preaching because I don't want to be up here telling you guys what the word of God says and I'm living according to default settings. We're not that kind of church and I'm not that kind of preacher. But I've learned something with God. I've learned that when you pray to God for something, you have to be careful what you ask for because he's going to give you that and he's going to test you to see what you're going to do. My wife and I were out getting lunch a week ago we're at one of our favorite places, and, and one of the reasons why we go to this place is because we just love our servers. They're so wonderful. And they know us. We go in there. They know, what we, they know what we want to eat. I don't even have to ask them for it. They know how I like it. They just make it up. Well, this particular day, we were, I was there with my wife, my mom, and my little sister, and uh, the table behind us, we had noticed that there was a man and his wife and his, like, their like, teenage son. And I heard and saw this man viciously berate the server. You see, the, the, the issue was, and I didn't think it was that big of an issue because he could have just got up and left, but his issue was that their menu did not meet his dietary standards. And instead of just doing the civil thing, leaving, he had to hit her where it hurt. And I listened to this man with the power of his words verbally cut her down in such a way that you would have thought she was two inches tall. 
And as I'm watching this interaction, now I got to tell you something funny. Like, my mom was there at the time. And many of you have met my mom. She's a sweet woman, but she's got a little bit of street in her. And I remember we were sitting down, and all of a sudden, my, my, mom's, like, my mom's back was to the guy, and she kind of turned around like that. And I, and I go, I go, Mom. My wife was there. She'll, she'll tell you. I was like, Mom, just, just hang on. Because I remembered what this passage in Scripture said. We had an enemy right there in my midst. You ever looked at somebody, and you can actually see the demon on their face, right? And I got to tell you guys something. I do not like bullies. I have never liked bullies. And I, I remember I, I'm watching this guy just berate this girl, and as, as he's talking to her, like I can see her face turning red, and by now she's like struggling over her words, and she's trying to put things together, and she's, she's fighting back tears and trying to be polite and do her job. And it took I, I, what I really wanted to do, what my default settings wanted me to do, I wanted to get out of that chair, and I wanted to grab that little pipsqueak, and I wanted to uproot him out of his chair, <laughs> and I could have done it. I wanted to uproot him out of his chair, and I wanted to hold, put him up against that wall and say, don't you ever hear me talking to you like somebody, somebody like that again. And don't ever come back. That's what I wanted to do, but I didn't do that. Eventually, the guy leaves, and as Scripture says, he left with shame on his head, and, and you know, eventually our service, she went back to the bank where she collected herself, and after a few minutes, she came back. And I kind of motioned her over to my table, and I told her, I said, you know, I'm going to let you know that I heard everything that that man said to you. And what he said was not a reflection on you. And I told her, I don't know where she stands spiritually, but I said to her, people who don't have Jesus are going to behave and respond exactly like people who don't have Jesus. And I want to let you know that Jesus is here with you. He was, he was standing right beside you. And as I was telling her this, like tears are just falling down her face, like something broke inside of her. And I told her, I said, he heard every word that man said, and he was not okay with it. And as my wife and I were leaving, we were processing what happened, because I'm still mad, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I felt inclined to, to, to pray. And I told my wife, I said, well, let's pray for Now, let me tell you how my def how default settings work. I wanted to pray for Danielle. I didn't want to pray for that guy. So we're praying for Danielle that God would bless her and God would comfort her and God would lift her up and restore her and give her a great day. But then I had to do something that to my shame, I must admit in front of you, I'm not used to doing. I had to pray that God would bless that man. And as I did that, I felt this struggle going on inside of me. My default settings at war with the righteousness of God. And fortunately, the righteousness of God won out. Because when I prayed for that man, all of a sudden I felt this weight lift from my shoulders, a burden that I was not meant to carry. You and I are to pray for those that wrong us. Because God will hear. God will answer. And God will bless that person. I don't know how. I don't know when, but he'll do it. It says it right here in the text. He'll do it. But he will also transform my heart towards that person. And as I think about that man, I don't think about resentment. I don't have bitterness. I don't have anger. But rather, I have a burden 
for this man because odds are more than likely he does not have what I have. More than likely, he did not sign up for what I signed up for. When we pray for our enemies, I know it's hard, and I know it doesn't feel natural. But if I'm to understand this text correctly, our prayers need to be like push-ups. I call them push-up prayers. And those of you who work out, those of you who exercise, you know that at first push-ups are extremely difficult if you're not used to doing them, especially if you're going to do them properly. Why? Because you've got to go all the way down. Never let somebody tell you they can do 1,000 push-ups, they're lying. You know, if you're going to do them right, you can probably only do them maybe 25 or 30. But, but push-up prayers, like, they, they're, they're difficult at first. But notice what happens. As you do more and more of them, the more inherent they become, the easier they become. And notice that after a while, you begin to take on this transformation. You start seeing results. Your, your muscles start to change. You start developing and what Jesus wants you and I to do, he wants us to pray like we're doing push-ups so that we can take on his physique. Because many of us are pretty weak. In verse 45, it says this. As we pray for those who persecute us, in that way we will be acting as true children of our Father in heaven. Our conduct, the things we do, the things we say, the way in which we respond, the things we post online, they have to reflect or they should reflect who we are in Christ. You and I are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You know, many people's opinion of God is dependent on, on, on how we represent him. You ever notice that? You know, you see a kid misbehaving, you think, oh, you must have bad parents, Right? Well, if they see us misbehaving and engaging the way they do, then, then they're going to think that we're a bunch of hypocrites and God doesn't, God's not who he says he is, right? But we know, you and I know who God is, and our job is to represent him every day in the things that we do and the things that we say. My great-grandmother, whenever I would leave her, she would always say, baby, she'd go, have a great day and take the Lord with you. Never leave home without him. Jesus then begins to give this very touching illustration, proving that he loves our enemies. He says this, For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. I, I want you guys to take a look uh, for a second. For a little while ago, we had sunlight beaming through the windows. Um, what is he talking about? What is Jesus talking about when he says he gives sunshine to and reign to the good and the evil. What he's saying is this. What he's referring to is his, his, his unbiased, non-discriminatory goodness that he generously extends to every human being every day in the form of his common grace. Uh, some of you uh, are well aware um, we had a crisis in our family uh, yesterday. Uh, my little sister, she's in the hospital right now, and she's, um, you know, we don't know how things are going to go. Uh, we haven't heard anything yet, but um, I remember uh, sitting by her bedside yesterday, and I was holding her hand, and I was praying for her. And um, I remember seeing God's, just the sunlight in the window, and I was reminded of this, this text, that despite what I was dealing with, despite what I was going through, God is saying to me, he was like, John, I blessed somebody with this sunshine. 
and I've got some for you too. There are times when I'm driving in my car and I'm just overwhelmed by the splendor of nature. And I see the sun. I love sunny days. And I, I just stop and I just, I just thank God and I, and, I, and I just praise him for it. And I can hear God saying to me, I, you're welcome. I know you enjoy this. I made this for you. I want you to have it. But guess who else I want to have this? I didn't make this just for you. I want the thief to have this. I want the, I want the murderer to have this. I want the homeless person sitting in a cardboard box. I want them to have the sunshine too. The inmate who's sitting in his cell, counted out by the rest of society, given up on by the rest of society, someone who we have thrown our hands up at and have completely written off, and they're sitting in their cell, and all of a sudden a little bit of sunlight comes through their, their bars, and it just lights up a little square on their floor, and that's God saying, I have not forgotten about you. That's God saying, I have not given up on you. I know you. I see you. My salvation, my mercy, my goodness, my generosity is available to you even now. In the same way that a farmer prays for rain to water his barren crop, and God all of a sudden he answers that prayer and he rolls in the clouds and he brings him that much needed water, guess who God also gives water to? His next door neighbor who's cheating on his wife. His next door neighbor whose wife left him with the kids because she thought she found someone better. God's love has no boundaries. His goodness, his grace, his generosity, his kindness is intrinsic to his character. It's who Jesus is. And if he can give good things to those who don't love him, if he can give good things to those who want nothing to do with him, if he can give good things to those who are going to go to their graves rejecting his free offer of salvation, and he knows they're going to reject his free offer of salvation, where do we get off thinking we can't do the same? Where do we get off thinking we have to hold grudges? If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. What Jesus is saying is he is warning us here today. He's saying don't be like the old Israel. Don't make the same mistakes they made. You can't say you didn't know because you do know. Jesus says you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about us never making mistakes? No. Is he talking about us never stumbling? No. Is he talking about us being faultless and, and blameless? No. But what he's talking about, when he says be perfect as your Father is imperfect, he's talking about spiritual maturity. He's saying that those of us who are spiritually mature, what we do is we pray for our enemies. Those of us who are spiritually mature, what we do is we bless our enemies. Those of us who are spiritually mature, we don't hold grudges. We are not agents of animosity. We're agents of kindness. We are not, we are not harbingers of bitterness, but rather we are people of forgiveness. We don't retaliate. We love. 
my question to you this morning is, are you living your life on default settings this morning? And if you are, that's okay. We're in church. It's okay to not be okay. But the good news is we don't have to stay there because we have Jesus. And right now, if you are wrestling, if you're, if you're wrestling with bitterness, if you're wrestling with resentment, if you are struggling with a relationship right now, maybe a marriage that's not what it should be, maybe a friendship that's gone sour or a relationship that's gone sideways and, and you are struggling this morning, I want to encourage you this morning that when you woke up this morning, there was Jesus standing next to your bed with his hands open, ready to take your baggage from you. And it's quite possible instead of giving him your baggage, you, you, you kind of sidestepped him a little bit. And you got into your car, and before you got to your car, there was Jesus with his hands open, ready to take your baggage from you. But you kind of sidestepped and you pushed him out of the way and you got in your car. You made it all the way here to church and you got out of your car in the parking lot and, and you, you walked up to the front door and there was Paul Beach with his, with his arms wide open, ready to love you. Well, guess who else is right there? There was Jesus with his hands open, ready to take your baggage from you. And maybe you hugged Paul, but you sidestepped Jesus. And maybe you were in here worshiping God, listening to all the songs, and, and there's Jesus standing right next to you, ready to take your baggage from you. But you decided to hold on to it. And during worship, you're probably gnashing your teeth and clenching your jaw and your stomachs and knots. But I want to encourage you this morning that there is healing in this place. There is redemption in this place. There is kindness in this place. There is love in this place. There is transformation in this place. There is Jesus in this place. And he wants to take your baggage from you. Why are you carrying a load that you weren't meant to carry? Give it to him. Give it to him.